What is my purpose? Are there any sins God won't forgive? What does the Bible teach about politics? Do all religions believe in the same God? What happens when I die? We all have questions, and we're going to start answering the questions you've been asking about. The Bible, culture, church, or just life in general. You asked for it. Hey, if you would grab your Bibles, there's a Bible on your chair um, around you. Perhaps you already threw it underneath someone else's chair. You want to grab that. Um, if this is your first time here or that you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that with you. Um, if you already own a Bible, don't steal. Thank you. Um, I'm just, just kidding. Just kidding. We're going to go to page number 992. 992. 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3. We're going to see some baptisms today. Man, I'm so excited about that. We got seven people getting baptized. Yep, that's exciting stuff. And why that's so exciting is because, man, our church exists to, to participate in the restoration of all things by seeing lives changed by Christ. And so we've got seven people announcing that their life has been changed. That's exciting. That puts us, like, we've, we've seen about 20 people this year make that statement for the first time, uh, which is so exciting for us as a leadership team, so exciting for our church. Um, but today the question is a, a very happy topic of uh, what happens when I die. And um, first off, first off, it's just glad you made it through the, so, the, the eclipse this week, right? So we had a bad case of events each and every week we've done these. So uh, I'm glad that we're all here today. Um, but very, very exciting uh, kind of moment over the, over the last few uh, weeks as we've been teaching on this is that we've been trying to, to, to bring some clarity to some questions that are often gray. Um, and one way that our church tries to do that, um, and our, one, an aspect of our personality, is that we always try to find the third way, not really the polarized viewpoint. And so when you come here and you're like, oh, I'm just always a little, like, it's always ten- there's always some tension there. There's always some, uh, you know, that wasn't perfect for me or whatever. That's good for us. That's an exciting thing because we think the Bible is always going to be shaping us and moving us towards Jesus' better version of who we are. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we have you open the Bible every single week or open your phones or wherever you do that, because I want you to see that what I'm talking about isn't something I'm making up in my office. It's something that is in the text. We're wrestling with it. And so the, the best thing that we can do when it comes to integrity is simply just ask the Bible what it's talking about and wrestle with the tension so that we can figure out how to be 21st century followers of Jesus in a very different type of culture. Uh, that's what we're trying to do there. So if, if, it's, if it's something that feels like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of not, that didn't feel like that wasn't putting on an old pair of shoes, that's good because we want it to feel like you're being changed and shaped and becoming more like Christ while we do it. And so today, uh, what happens when I die kind of gets there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, right at the page at the bottom of 992 there, says this, um, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. All right, we're going to stop there, and we're going to finish a little bit later. Isn't that a crazy sentence? Can we acknowledge that together as a church this morning? We want you to know... What happened to those who have died? Because I just got off coffee with one, right? Just got off coffee with somebody who was explaining that to me who had just recently passed, right? And it's, it's hard to, to take those statements in Scripture sometimes and just simply not acknowledge the fact that that's a weird sentence. But what we're trying to do is say, okay, where is Paul pulling this from? How is Paul receiving this type of information? Or how is he really trying to apply that to what's going on? 
And so you have to take the full counsel of what the scriptures are talking about in order to say, okay, what's, what, what is exactly going on here? I want you to know what happens to someone when they die. And so we, but what we have today is it's hard because often what we do is we take the things that we understand about culture and we take the things that we understand about philosophy or understand the things that we, ta- we take about our view of the world and we simply take pictures from the Bible a lot of times and place them onto our own beliefs. And so we often have these metaphorical understandings of death and, and theology and all this sort of stuff. And we, we look into the Bible then and we say, okay, well, where is that found in here? And often there are major systems of belief built that way. And it's crucially important that we do not do that to the scriptures. The scriptures have to throw out what is important uh, and what it's teaching to us, not what we're seeing in the world and then trying to make it fit into what we see in the Bible. That's, it's so important that we, that we approach the scriptures that way. But oftentimes with death, all that, we have to, all that we have is a bunch of signposts that the scriptures give us that point us into a fog, don't we? I mean, like, nobody's been there and then coming back. There's been one person that did that. He didn't really talk about it a whole lot. And so you have this understanding where, okay, we're, what in the world's going on? So we have these pictures. They often do reflect to some sort of reality that we don't have, we don't have a, a thing to see all the time. But we do believe that the Bible gives us a few things that we know for sure will happen when we die. We have to understand that. We have to see that. But we have to hold that into the tension of saying, this is a really difficult topic to understand. We're not seeing ahead. So we're we tracking so far this morning. Everyone laughed because Ryan just said that in the announcement video. I know. I get it. So we don't know what happens when we die, but we do know a few things that we will experience, um, that, we will, that we will come to experience, that the scriptures teach us. So number one, when you die, you will be with Jesus. Here's, here's, here's the, the, that's the phrase that the New Testament uses every time uh, it references this. We often use the word heaven. That heaven, now stay with me here, okay? You got to watch through this whole thing. I just don't, remember, you asked for this topic. Don't email me. You asked for it. I just try to teach you the Bible here. Heaven in the New Testament is not the place that the Bible references us going when we die. We use it because we often think heaven is going up, we're staying here. Uh, live people are down here. But the heaven is, often, it is taught in the New Testament as the place where God is. And so when we think we're going to be with Jesus, we automatically do that to heaven. Now, that's fine. That's okay. But we have to understand what heaven is in order to understand really what's happening when we're with Jesus. The Bible says that we are going to be with Jesus, not go to heaven. And we often equate the two. But it's often that we understand what we're doing when we equate the two. The Bible says we're going to be with Jesus. Now, often this is what our view of heaven is. Um, if you go to the, uh, this, the first slide. This is often our view. We got earth down here, heaven up there, and that's it. Thank you. I'll be here all day. Right? We often see this and think, okay, what, what, all right, so, so when we die, we're going to go up and we're going to go, I don't know, somewhere maybe millions of miles into the, into the sky. I don't know where we go. We're going to go somewhere. 
really the, the, the picture that, that, that God teaches when it comes to the scriptures is this next slide here. That God's intention for the world is that heaven and earth would be in the same place. But sin, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin is introduced, it splits heaven and earth. So the place where God is and the place where we are, we're no longer intertwined. It's not an up and down thing. It's more of like a left to right. Heaven is the reality of where God is. It's a dimension of the same reality that we are. And so we have these two spots. What Jesus did upon his death and resurrection is he made this possible. And so we're not fully yet where God wants us to be in a fully inclusive heaven and earth. What he originally intended the world to be, we're not there yet. But what the Bible teaches us is that we begin to see through a lens dimly. And so heaven and earth now become a spot where sometimes we see the activity of God right here in the midst of earth. If you were at the Hope Center yesterday, you would have seen this. We served over 100 bags of food to people who were in need. We, we saw literally like 1,000 people in the midst of Payne Park in Pawtucket. Um, and there was joy and energy and life in the midst of that. You see heaven and earth intermingling. When someone announces that Jesus is their Lord, that's something that is a response to the Holy Spirit at work in their heart. That's heaven and earth intermingling. God's intention was for heaven and earth to be together. Sin makes them separate, but because of Jesus' cross and his death and his resurrection, we now are at a spot where we can have peace with God, and we begin to see the activity of God here in the world. And so this is a much different picture of one day soon I'll get to go to heaven when I die. In fact, what Jesus says is that on, on earth as it is in heaven. Are we tracking? So when we pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 5 and say, God, let, on earth, let, let it happen on earth as it is in heaven, what we're asking is for the dimension, for the reality, for God to invade our current reality. So when you're at work, heaven can be present. When you are at, at school, heaven can be present. When you are at your, school, your soccer fields or you are, I don't know, in the, in the worst, most possible spot, the way that God intended your life to be and the way that God intended the world to be can make it there. So when you die, you don't just go to heaven. When you die, you are with Jesus. It's important that we use the phrase correctly because it, so that we can, it, we, we can straighten out all the things that we believe here. So when we die, we are with Jesus. And, and Philippians chapter 1 talks about that real fast. Paul um, is, is grieving this idea that he wants to go to heaven. Uh, he want, oh, see, even I just did it in my phrase. Um, he, he wants to be with Jesus, but it's helpful for us to be here. But he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, what, what yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better to remain is in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so we see Paul even wrestling with this idea. But when you die, you're going to be with Jesus. If you're a believer here today, that is your future. I, I can't explain that to you. I don't know what that looks like. But for believers, you are with Jesus upon death. The other thing that happens, number two, when you die, you will be judged. Now, that's, that's, a, that's not a fun phrase to say in, front of, in a room full of 400 people. 
But here's the thing, with the word judgment, that's become a very, a, a very terrible idea, a frightening idea when it comes to 21st century religion. The word judge is actually something in the Old Testament that the Jewish, that the, the Jewish nation desired. Judgment was something that they desired because here's what judgment was in the, in the scriptures. When something is out of line, judging it, puts it back in line. Something's not quite meeting up. The rule and judgment of God would to make it line back up. And so watch this, for, watch this in Psalm 98. David is going to literally proclaim this and, and praise this. It says this, let the sea and everything in it, in it shout, uh, and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Now, what kind of sick and twisted people do that, right? Like, what? yes, God, we're so thankful that you're coming to judge us. And so that understanding, our cultural understanding of the word judgment often makes this a bad and fearful thing. But this is often th- the, the very thing that the scriptures were to, were to uh, look forward to. The judgment of the earth was that God was going to finally descend upon the earth, the broken earth, and put everything back together again. It's this desire to see Genesis 1 and 2 fully restored within the world. It's this desire to see heaven and earth back together in one. But what happens is this, is that when we are, uh, that upon death, we are with Jesus, there is this moment where we begin to under, where we are judged based off the good works and bad works that we have done. Now here's, now track along with me here. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 2. It says this, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves and who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. It's in this moment, if you have experienced salvation, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit justifies you before God. It's at that moment where you stand before God, the Holy Spirit says, no, this one's got my account. This one's got me. That when God sees you, he sees Jesus. It's at that moment that we're judged based off the good works of Christ. And so we see these things, uh, we see these things kind of unfolding throughout Scripture. Um, they paint a clear picture that will stand before them and, be, and begin to understand. Okay, this is what it is. But Jesus justifies us as we stand before God in that judgment. So you will experience this type of judgment, but we, our praise, our, our praise are, is given to the grace of God that we experience here. Eventually, at the end of this, though, when you are living life, you're experiencing a, a, a judgment um, already sometimes. And you might be able to, this is why, like when Matthew 5 and 6 says that don't judge, other, judge others, you're actually putting yourself in the seat of God. Because you're saying, I can make right what went wrong in that person's life by talking about them, by doing this, by saying that. But also, there's a way to actually experience that judgment now. When, when, God, when God explains who you are, when he has a vision for your life, he's giving you the best way to be human. 
throughout our entire life, we can deny that humanity. We say, no, 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 God, that is not the best way to be human. My way is the best way to be human. That's what Romans 2 is talking about. It says when you consistently live for yourself, you're putting yourself in the seat and eventually saying, God, I don't need you in that seat in my life. You don't need to be my judger because I'm the one making sure my life is putting it all back together. I'm the one making sure all the things that went wrong are making it go right. And so to be judged by God, as fearful and weird as that sounds, is something that we submit ourselves to God to say, God, make right all that sin made wrong. Make right in me all that sin made wrong. And it's then that the Holy Spirit justifies you before an almighty and all-powerful God. Are we tracking so far? And so when, when, when you die, you will see and be with Jesus. When you die, you will be resurrected. Uh, when, you, when you die, you will be judged. And lastly, when you die, you will be resurrected. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. We, wa- we don't want you to, to grieve like people who have no hope, he says. Verse 14 says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of call of God. First the believers who have died and will rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive, remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. See it again? We will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each each other in these words. There is this, the word resurrection is not just a fancy term for going to heaven when we die. What the scriptures teach is that there's literally going to be, a, there's going to be a renewed body upon the return of Jesus. When Jesus comes back to make all of the things uh, right that, that sin made wrong. And when he makes heaven and earth back to, mixes them back together and restores all the things that he desires for the world. There's literally a moment. It's not just life after death. Theologian, the theologian N.T. Wright will term it this way. It's life after life after death. Life after death is when you're with Jesus. Life after life after death is the resurrection. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa resurrection of the body. This, this is so important to understand the terms of Christianity, to understand the, the celebration and the hope that Jesus' followers actually celebrate. Look at look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul puts so much stake on this idea that there's a resurrection of the dead after that. He says this, tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For there, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is use, useless and your faith is useless. So he's saying, if Christ doesn't rise, if, if we don't rise from the dead at the moment that Jesus comes and engages with us, when he comes down and makes right all that went wrong, if that moment doesn't happen, pack it all up, church. Pack it all up. Because there's actually nothing to talk about. The resurrection is the affirmation of God's good creation. 
death is the disintegration of it. And so all of the ways that we, that we experience death, not just death on our deathbed, but death throughout our entire life, resurrection says that death does not have the last word, but Christ does. That's why we don't celebrate, we just don't stop at Good Friday. We celebrate Saturday and ultimately Sunday. So the announcement for you today is that if you're experiencing some sort of death, that Jesus says that does not have the last word. That Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And resurrection is what we experience when we engage in that. So we see all of this stuff that Jesus, when he resurrects, he did not just lay his body down and his soul went to heaven. We didn't, that's not what we experienced. His body came back. He ate with his disciples. He let his disciples touch his hands. Jesus did not just die and then reincarnate. It's important that we understand that. Jesus, for resurrection, re, Jesus resurrects and then never dies again. Reincarnation will teach you that you come back in some sort of a new life. That's not what he experiences. The Bible teaches that there's resurrection. So there's no karma from some past life that you had making its way into your life today. For Jesus, for Jesus' followers, there's only resurrection and more, uh, and, and looking more like Christ. Jesus did not just, his soul did not just go up. He, his body did. He did not reincarnate, reincarnate. He's making creation what he wants it and intended it to be. And he's doing that through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he talks so emphatically about it. But what I love about 1 Corinthians 15 is right at the end of it, he takes all of this idea, this whole idea of resurrection, this whole idea of death after, um, this whole idea of death and, and, and what you're going to experience, and he says this. He says, for sin is the string that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So when you're living out the story of Christianity, the story that's saying that God um, had a good intention, that he gives us his image, but sin breaks everything. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, redemption is beginning to restore the world back to what he originally intended it to be. If we're living that story, what we're doing is we're living this idea that through us, people in the world, they're ex- beginning to experience the Sunday. We're beginning to experience that. We're bringing that into the earthly realm, that although it's not fully integrated, we're beginning to see the work and the move of God through his church so that we can all celebrate resurrection. That's what we're going to do today when we celebrate seven people making that announcement today. We're celebrating resurrection. We're celebrating that we're no longer dead, but we're alive in Christ. We're celebrating the fact that death does not have the last word, that Jesus, the Jesus story does, in fact, still win. And so we begin to move through the story of the Bible through all that. So what happens when we die? What happens when we die? You will be with Jesus. The, te- the scriptures teach that. You will be with Jesus. If you're a believer in here today, you will be with Jesus. 
We don't know what that experience looks like. We don't know what you will do. We do know that, well, we do know a little bit about it if you're looking at Genesis 1 and 2. But I tell you what, you're not sitting on a cloud with a harp. Right? You're not doing that. All the type A people just went, oh, thank God. Oh, man. Oh, that was the worst. Right? We're not sitting on the cloud with a harp in heaven. The scriptures teach that we're with Jesus. And upon his return, he will return and he will make this place look exactly like he originally intended it to look. And it's through the work of the church, it's through the work of redemption, based off the gospel, not just off our strength, but based off the gospel, that we begin to see resurrection take place right here in the midst of this life. And so there will be judgment. There will be all of those things. But we do know that Jesus, what he's doing in, in his love, for us is making things right the way he originally created it to be. And so today we're going to celebrate that. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll, be, we'll be able to begin to move into place and we'll be able to see people make this statement that this is true. What I love about, what I love about the Bible is this. What I love about the Bible is this. We can try to make God the most relevant person in the 21st century. We can play music, we can do lights, we can do whatever we want to do that, but it will never move a human heart towards him. All of this stuff is expression. This is just expression. This isn't the actual spirituality. Like This is just an expression of who we are as people. This room, this table, the people on staff, whatever, none of that is going to take a person's heart and move it closer to God. The Holy Spirit does that. And that still happens a lot. It happens a lot. And so today, seven people were... We're, we're, we're going to make that step here because they we're announcing that Jesus is Lord over their life because the Holy Spirit moves on them and they respond to that. There's no better defense of the Christian faith than to see that type of stuff take place. Because it still happens, not just here. We're just a part of it, literally, internationally. Go do some research on the church in China and watch millions of people actually turn into Christ. Go do some research in South America where, where, the, where the move of God is so strong and so deep that literally millions of people are making the decision to go there. And we're just a part of that. And you seven people are a part of that. So we're excited about that tonight, uh, today. Um, and, and we're looking forward to all that God's going to do as, as a result. So Jesus.